0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome in to the Ops and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Eric, we're at the day before the day, Friday morning or Friday afternoon, whenever you want to listen to this. Maybe you even listen to this on Saturday. Uh, and it's the day. Uh, but nonetheless, final tune-up for us to talk and prepare you guys for Saturday night's primetime game, Oregon versus California, 5.05 p.m. Pacific time kickoff game airs on Fox. Brandon Godin, Brock Heward, and Bruce Feldman will be on the call. Uh, from a Fox perspective, uh, Jerry Allen usually in his normal spot for play-by-play on the Oregon Sports Network uh, with Mike Jorgensen, Murray, and Terry Johns, and um, I think Eric, you and I at this point last week were extremely fired up for this outcome or for this for this game because the possibility of two top fifteen teams, prime time, you know the storylines of Oregon's defense and Cal's defense and Crystal ball and Wilcox and Herbert and Weaver and, and all of that. Um, but I don't know about you, but the excitement has kind of died every single day as we've gotten closer and closer to this football game. And I'm regulating to myself that we could be going into one where it's going to be a lot like Montana, maybe where it, it's a blowout and Oregon start to finish is, is in, in control. And I guess if you're, from an Oregon perspective, that's what you want.
0: Sure. And from a fan, if you're like a diehard Oregon fan, yeah, you of course you want to win every game, and you want to win every game dominantly. But if you're just a fan of watching good football, I've said it a couple times this week, it's sort of a bummer that we will not be getting Cal at 100% when it arrives at Autzen Stadium. And I think for me, my excitement level has shifted a little bit. And I should say, we'll talk about through the podcast, I'm not expecting Oregon to just like this to be a completely non-competitive game. Maybe sure. I'll be wrong. But, like, my accept- excitement level has shifted a little bit from the game itself to seeing this Oregon offense now with a couple pieces back. And uh, on Wednesday, Mario Cristobal announced that both uh, Michael Pittman and Brendan School are cleared for action and are will be playing on Saturday. My attention level is now going to be focused probably a little bit more just on those two guys, how that impacts the Oregon offense. Do we see them opened up a little bit? Do we see a guy like Pittman who's making his collegiate debut, make a bunch of big plays and kind of announce himself to the Oregon fateful. That's sort of where I'm focused on, which is, which is great, right? I mean, it's good that to have all these kind of cool storylines come into the game, but it's unfortunate that it takes away from, like you said, what could have been and looked like it was going to be like two top 15 teams duking it out with kind of a lot riding on the line. I mean, because if, This is a game where, theoretically, you know, these two teams came in like we expected. They would be like the outcome could have tremendous impacts on the Pac-12 North because these are kind of the two – felt like the two favorites coming into last week, and now it feels completely different, and it's sort of a bummer. It's kind of – honestly, I think if you're a season ticket holder and you're – you know, you come into all the games at aughts and you're kind of bummed out because this felt like for at least about a week there, this is going to be maybe the best home game of the season. And now, like you said, there's a chance that this is a game where – Oregon goes out there and takes care of business in a really dominant way, and it won't carry the same weight that it would have if Oregon had gone out and carried, you know, and take care of its business in a dominant way against a like top 15 or a top 13 or whatever Cal would have been ranked had they beaten Arizona State.
1: Let's go into the injury front. Um, I think the bye week was a very welcomed sight for Oregon mm-hmm. football. Um, Jake Hansen, he's back. Uh, Thomas Graham played against Stanford, but he's even more healthy. Austin Folio played against Stanford, but he's even more healthy. Um, Cyrus Abilakio, he should be back for for the Cal game. Um, you mentioned Brendan Schooler. You mentioned Micah Pittman. The, getting both of those guys back are probably the major storylines of the week for Oregon's perspective. And... Now we have a receiving core that's of full time guys. Of four grows to six. And this week, both Arroyo and Cristobal talked about, you know, the impact that that will have on just the overall aspect of the offense and what they, you know, what they can and and couldn't do when they didn't have those guys.
0: And I think one of the things that stood out to me was I think Arroyo said at times this year, Jalen Red has had to have like an IV. Uh, attached to him to get his fluids and his liquids to keep him uh, upright basically because there just haven't been he just hasn't had an opportunity for rest and now Micah Pittman who for all of fall was his number one backup is back and available and that will be a thing where Red uh, who we should mention if anybody's expecting like Pittman and Schooler to like start this game and be massive parts of the offense I think that might be slightly premature I still expect like Red and Addison and Johnny Johnson to be the premier guys but like it, what it does provide is a guy like Red, who it sounds like was getting next to no rest, and was really just physically exhausted because of that. To maybe take 15 to 20 snaps off and you know be off the field for a little bit and get some rest and not have to be you know injected with an IV, which is a no fun and be like really speaks to what a warrior a guy like that has been for Oregon uh, to date. So that's huge, and yeah, you'd be touched upon it as well. They're just like it opens up what they can do. Offensively, a little bit. You now have a couple guys who know the playbook. You know, you had two more guys who know the playbook and know what they're doing at receiver at a high level. That's a big development, especially when you previously had four guys, right? Yeah. That's a that's a big I, deal. I, it's a big deal, and I overlooked that a little bit, I think. You know, and, and hearing Arroyo and the players talk about how that might have impacted things, like it's that's significant. So. You know, even if we don't see Pittman and Schoolard come out and put up, put up huge numbers, just their availability from a depth perspective and then also kind of from an opening up the playbook perspective, I think, has to be seen as a real positive.
1: Yeah, starting with the Cal game, now is the time where I think we can start really judging the offense and what they're doing, what they're able to accomplish, what they're not doing, you can still go back and and you can be critical of, of play calling and play selection and you know per, you know guys going out and executing or not the first four games of the season. But those first four games, Oregon was operating like we said with with just four receivers and they had some injuries at tight end. You know some some guys were dinged up. Offensive line had an injury. Now going into this Cal game and beyond, Oregon is. As healthy as they've been along the op- offensive side of the football for the for this season, and I think now is where we will start judging them, and we can be now be critical. But because, like you said in the podcast earlier this week, this group doesn't have any excuses left to say, "Oh, well, we don't have the depth at the receiver position, so we couldn't run our our full plethora of plays." And you know, the injuries along the offensive line has. Has forced us to shuffle some things, and that's what led to some some pressures against Stanford or whatnot, what have you. You know, the youth and inexperience against Auburn at receiver, we just couldn't, you know, throw out those guys and ask them to do all this much, all this stuff, and now we can. All that stuff's out the window. So now I think is where we start looking at the offense and and saying, okay, this is where they need to improve. Okay, this is going in the right direction. Okay, this needs to get fixed. This is a big concern because the group is at that spot now where they're healthy. And they're only going to get more healthy as the season goes on because Pittman and Schooler, they're going to be getting their feet wet. They'll get into their rhythms that, that they missed during fall camp. And before you know it, Lance Wilhoyt will be back. He'll be at the receiver position and available to help if, if needed. The same case with J.R. Waters down the road. Juwan Johnson's still out there um, at the receiver position as well. So they're starting to get guys back at at, at this at the position, at receiver which is opening up the door for everything else to to be healthy and at full strength. Now, Juwan Johnson, that's another issue of where yeah. is he? Uh, what what's the status? Is he going to play on Saturday against Cal? What? Crystal ball again was you know fifty fifty on that.
0: Yes, we just don't know enough to really make any sort of prognostication. And frankly, I'm kind of moving on right now with the perspective of like. I just won't expect he'll play until we see him playing. I, and I think that's probably the wisest way to move. Not that I'm like some super wise person or anything like that, but like right. at this point, yeah, you agree, Matt. At this point, it's like we, we just, it just feels like it, it's unreasonable to expect he's going to play until he actually plays. And so I think you have to progress with that perspective. And it sounds like, who knows, maybe we see Lance Wilhoyt before we see Juwan Johnson. Maybe we see JR Waters. This would be the weird thing who was ruled out for the season like two weeks right. ago. Maybe we see him before Jawan Johnson. You know, that's not off the table. I mean, Cristobal, you, you asked the question yesterday or on, on Wednesday just about what's going on with JR Waters because he was at one point out for the season. It sounds like they're expecting he might come back and start practicing towards the final quarter of the season, and that might make him a guy who they could possibly save his redshirt year – or use his redshirt year, sorry – uh, and still have him play a couple of games at the end yep. of the season just as a depth piece. So that could be another element there with the receiving game. I don't think he's someone it sounds like you can expect to see back probably until maybe like mid November or something like that or maybe November. but just that's another interesting element. But Joanne, again, it's just, we I, I don't have a, we don't have a great pulse on it. He's progressing quote unquote. And, uh, I think that's sort of where it's at. And, and until we see him play, I think you just kind of go with the expectation that you're not going to have him play that weekend.
1: Right. And I, I would agree with I would agree with you there, unless Cristobal comes out and hey he's, he's he's gonna play, um which I don't think he will do. Uh, and good news, the Ducks got Devin Williams. We talked a little bit about it earlier in the week, uh, but on Wednesday, Wednesday evening, the school actually came out and officially announced uh Devin Williams signing. Mario Cristobal Wednesday afternoon actually answered about it, acknowledged that yes, that they can. Uh, say that Devin Williamson signed. He was with the team Wednesday for practice, uh, will be with the team again on Thursday, was with the team again on Friday. He will be on the sidelines on Saturday in a uniform. He won't be padded up. He won't. He'll have to redshirt this season. Um, but this is a guy where, look, you are playing in football and in and any sport. You are playing a numbers game. You want to get as many of the best players coming in as for their first years or or best players in general. You want to acquire as many of the most talented players you can, and then it's just a numbers game because some of them, they will exceed their expectations, even if they're a five-star, even if they're the number one player in the country. Every now and then, the number one player in the country exceeds his expectations. And then right. you'll have guys on the other end of the spectrum, and it's they're a five-star prospect, they're a top 100 to recruit, and they just don't figure it out. Things don't click. It doesn't work. And then you have guys that, you know, are somewhere in between. They live up basically to what was their expectation. But the, the deal is, is if, hey, if you go out and you sign all top 100 recruits, the law of averages is gonna work in your favor because whilst, you know, maybe half of those guys are just who they are and a quarter of them don't end up being anything and a quarter of them exceed their expectations, you're still looking at a talent pool that's in the, the top 10%, let's say, and that's what your team is. And you are absolutely loaded. So Oregon's going out, and they found a guy in Devin Williams from USC who transferred, who was a top 50 recruit. He was the sixth best receiver in 2018 by our rankings. And they're getting a guy, and they're basically saying, hey, look, we think Devin Williams is going to be special. We think Devin Williams is going to help us. He, he, he might win us some football games. But the reality is, We've got Devin Williams on the fold next year. Oregon's got, uh, Johnny Johnson. They've got Johnny Wilson, Micah Pittman. Uh, they've got Jalon Red, Lance Wilhoyt, Those are Josh Delgado, Brian mm-hmm. Addison. Those are yep. all four star players or established prospect, or football players at Oregon. And they're going out and they're saying out of that group, a good chunk of them are going to be really good. And that just elevates Oregon's talent at the receiver position.
0: It could be a deal where next year through four games, it's funny because this year through four games, we're like, gosh, they have four bodies and it's like, they're really limited. It could be a deal next year where through four games, you're like, gosh, they have too many guys. You know what I mean? I mean, we could be a situation here where a year from now we're sitting uh, around the same time or in early October going like, this is the most talented receiving core Oregon has had in a really long time. Because all, like you said, all those guys are really highly rated guys. And, Uh, Devin Williams was somebody who I was. I think we were both super impressed with him. I remember at the opening, uh, a couple of years ago up in Portland, but it was up there, and he was one of the most impressive players. Period. At that at that event, he was a stud and uh, just incredible ball skills. Uh, You know, goes up and, and makes plays. You know, in the end zone or out jumps players. He's got great length and. If you see all that come together here and you add that with the guys you mentioned before, and we've already seen now Johnny Johnson is clearly going to be a, a key player and Jalen Redd is clearly capable of being a key player. Brian Addison is showing some things already. I thought he was great against Stanford. Um, and then you see maybe Michael Pittman takes a step and Johnny, if Johnny Wilson is as good as advertised and Devin Williams is as good as advertised, you could have seven or eight guys that are really, really, really good players. And instead of being, you know, this year where you have a kind of a shortage of talent, you're going to end up having like a surplus. Right. Uh, where, where it's almost like you're going to have really good players who just can't see the field. And that's a great problem to have. And I said that earlier this week, whoever is the starting quarterback, and my money right now would be on Tyler Shuck, given his experience and the fact that the other guys that would be on that roster would be uh, making their first coll- collegiate starts or first collegiate action. um That person's going to have... Their job's gonna be much easier with just the receiving core that's gonna be available. Just a lot of big athletic guys and then some guys in the slot like Greg and Pittman who are extremely, uh, big playmakers.
1: The thing I like most about next year's lineup at the receiver position is there's experience. You figure, you know, Johnny Johnson's gonna be, you know, a four year basically a starter. You know, he started basically all four years of his career at Oregon. Um, I think it 's safe to say, even with Pittman back and schooler back, I think he 's going to remain the go to guy unless one of those two guys just all of a sudden is astronomically better than expected um, and that says you know a lot about what we 're thinking with this group and on top of that, you now have a group though that 's really long and big bodied at the receiver position. You know, I, I go back and I look at, you know, some of the, the best teams, uh, in, in college football over the years and they have guys that are just physically bigger than all the DBs that they're going to face. I mean, go back to, to last year's, um, Clemson team, you know, they, they were, they were hands down the best team in, in the country and, you know, their offense was just prolific. And their two best receivers from a statistical standpoint were both six foot four. and Hunter Renfro was maybe the most reliable pass catcher, and he he was you know like the 510, 511 nature, if that. But you know or Clemson was so good because they could stretch the field vertically, they could go over the top, and they did all of this stuff with big, tall, athletic, long receivers. And that's kind of what Oregon's building next season uh for the ducks because you look at Brian Addison, he's six foot four. Johnny Wilson, he's six foot six. Devin Williams, he's six foot four. Lance Wilhoyt is six foot three. Uh you you've got big receivers now that are going to be on the field and on top of that, you've got some really good speedsters in the slot that can go over the top and in, in Jalen Red, Micah Pittman, Josh Delgado.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a wealth of options and I agree the, the variety of, of guys you have is exciting. And, and again, just to have that size on the outside, that, that's a huge advantage. You know, that, that could make up for a throw being slightly off here and there. You know, if you just have a guy who can go up and get it. And again, with the quarterback, whoever it's going to be next year is going to be a first year starter, whether it be Tyler Shuck or Jay Butterfield or Cale Millen, it's going to be a first year guy. And just having that size and athleticism on the perimeter can kind of help make up for, any inconsistencies or, or issues, whoever that quarterback might be, and so if you're an Oregon fan and you're and you're concerned about the passing game next year, I know we're looking way down the line at this point. Um, you have to be just excited and ecstatic by the, the talent they've they've been bringing in, and we didn't even bring mention a guy like Chris Hudson, who's also committed, who's a highly regarded guy.
1: Right, forgot about him as well. Um, it wasn't all good news for Oregon this week in terms of roster updates. Um, Two players, two freshmen, have been deemed out for the year. One of them is done at Oregon for football. Um, quarterback Kale Millen, true freshman quarterback, he's out for the year with some kind of a shoulder injury. That's all Mario Cristobal would say. He's in a sling. This is now, I think, his third injury since he's been at Oregon. He yeah. He showed up in spring football and, and had an injury that, that pre- prevented him to, to finish, and then he had another injury during the off season. Um, and now this is another one. So he hasn't been on campus in even for a full year yet and he's had to deal with multiple injuries. That's never a good thing. And most importantly, it just hurts his development. I mean he wasn't gonna play this year. That wasn't the expectation. Um outside of maybe four games that he could still get his red shirt from. Uh right. but his just overall development now is gonna be severely put on pause for a very long time because he can't he can't do much. It's all gonna have to be mental reps and and some lower body workouts. But
0: yeah, so that's we, should, one the, we should we should mention it's his throwing shoulder too. So that's yeah. that's, that's that makes it even things worse.
1: That makes it bad too. I, I I completely forgot to mention that. Um and then the other one was Justin Johnson, a redshirt freshman, offensive lineman. He had to medically retire. Crystal ball would not tell me why, but um I guess it's bad phrasing because I just asked if he had medically retired and he said yes. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but that's where we're at there in terms of injuries. I think Kales is one that is an interesting one because everyone's going to think about, oh, well, where's his development for next year, and how's he going to be ready to compete for the starting job? That just means if Herbert goes down with an injury
0: mm-hmm.
1: this season, Oregon has one scholarship quarterback on roster.
0: Yeah, you're a couple of injuries away from Bradley Yaffe a lock on and I don't want to drag Bradley at all because I'm sure he's a, a, a you know, a a talented young man, but obviously he's a lock on quarterback. Didn't have a scholarship to play at Oregon and that's going to be a steep drop off. So, uh, yeah, in, you know, that this maybe puts a little bit more of a quiet to the, should Justin Herbert be running narrative and not that like having Cale Millen available was going to change it too much, but he's at least somebody who's a you know, former four star recruit by two, two four seven, and somebody who, who people were, were pretty high on, um, He's not available. And now if, if you've got Herbert who gets dinged up for any reason at some point and Tyler Shuck suffers an injury, you're dealing with a, a third string walk on quarterback and that potentially is very dangerous. That's that you're playing with a little bit of fire there. So, uh, gotta, gotta protect your quarterback. Herbert has to protect himself. They're, they're in a spot here where obviously if Herbert goes down period, like I don't even, it's, it, bad. It it's, it's, it's very bad, right? I mean, he's, he's your, the face of the program. He's, your best player, probably regardless of position, he's the guy that really gives you a chance to maybe make a run at a conference championship or a, even maybe some sort of, uh, you know, major post uh, accomplishments. But now without Millen, just the drop off from one to two to three is a little bit larger. And it could, it could be a problem down the road. I, I, you know, that would take some incredible injury luck for Yaffe to ever see the field in probably meaningful moments, but I also wouldn't be shocked that if Oregon does get into a situation now where where they are in a they are you know leading significantly, and that whether, they get
1: out of the game.
0: Yeah, exactly. That I don't know where that happens on the schedule. I don't really see it, but like if it happens, like maybe you play Bradley after for a position or two, just to see what he can do and just have him out there and get comfortable in case in case he's needed this year. Of course, you're hoping you won't you know you're hoping you won't have to play him, but in case.
1: Let's look forward to, uh, the game ahead this weekend. Keys to the game. Um, Eric, you'll, you'll have one. I have one. I'll go first. I think this is going to be a game where Oregon has to come in dialed in. Like all week, this is a game that we've, we've said it ourselves on this, on this very podcast. And I, I know for a fact that, or not, I don't know for a fact, but. Everywhere else you go and you look about the narrative of this football game, it's blowout, blowout, blowout in favor of Oregon. Mm-hmm. And this just two weeks ago was billed as a big game and a divisional, you know, deciding game. <laughs> and so I think Oregon has to come into Saturday night at Austin Stadium and have full respect for their opponent, which I know they will, but at the same time, they have to play clean. They have to play sharp. They have to come out firing on on cylinders. They can't have a half or a quarter to get going. They've got to be able to eliminate all all hope that Cal has in this game, because the longer Cal sits around and is was is within a score or it's tied or they have the lead, the longer they're going to believe that they can win. And in sports, sometimes it's more about confidence and hope and knowing you can win that it is the actual talent that you have. And so I want to see Oregon come out I want to see them play very very good on both sides of the football early and put this game away. Make this make California in the first half have to play out of their comfort zone because if you can do that early that means you're set you set yourself up for some success.
0: I think that's a great point just because Cal is not built Without Garbers in particular to come and play from behind, right? They're not, I don't think they have the passing attack to do it. I don't think you can expect to erase a deficit of a couple, maybe three touchdowns purely running the football against this Oregon defense. I think that's very optimistic if you're a California fan or, or player. So if Oregon does come out and gets up two or three touchdowns in the first half, I think for Cal, that's going to be extremely difficult to come back from. And that's exactly what you want to see if you're Oregon, I think is get up enough where Cal just isn't able to Really, you know, formulate the, the necessary response to catch up. Um, and there's a lot of things that I think are keys to this game. I think defensively, obviously you want to get after modster. You want to shut down the run game. You want to maybe, maybe force some turnovers. But I think for me, this is going to come down to the Oregon offense. And I say that because I think this Oregon defense is really, really good. I know this Cal offense is banged up. I think that the Oregon defense is going to keep California pretty limited offensively. I don't expect Cal to score very many points. So to me, this comes down to the Oregon offense more than it does the Oregon defense in terms of the final outcome of this game. And I think the ability to stretch the field with the passing game is critical because this is a very good Cal secondary. And if you're able to start beating them at their strength, then you then that becomes a big issue for them. And frankly, I, I'm just a little wary of like expecting too much in the run game with Evan Weaver in that middle of that defense. And maybe I'm just over hyping Weaver, but I think he's an incredibly good player. And you watch them play. He's involved and in his nose is in every play. Um, you've got to be able to find a way to beat this Cal defense down the field. And if you have some success doing that, I think that opens up the run game a little bit and just opens up this offense as a whole.
1: All right. Let's take a quick break. Um, we'll hear from our sponsors. We'll get back to talking about to your happy place For
0: a happy price Go to your happy price price line.
1: Alright, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Eric, let's go now into our five predictions. I'll start us off. Um, I'm a big believer that this offense is going to get going eventually. I think we see that Saturday night at Austin. Um I don't necessarily am going to go out and predict that one in particular running back for Oregon is going to go off, but I think C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye as a tandem, as a combination, they're going to go for 175 or more on the ground, and they'll have a touchdown or two to their name.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll start on the defensive side here. I, I'm going to say – the streak continues. Cal does not score an offensive touchdown. It makes four straight opponents that are unable to get into the end zone. Um, this Oregon defense has proven now three straight games that they're very, very capable, that they don't make a ton of mistakes. They have a hard, it's a hard time for opponents to, to score, obviously, and it's a hard time for opponents honestly to move the football. I mean, you look at that Stanford game outside of the first drive of the, of the game, and then I think a drive in the fourth quarter, they barely moved the ball to or even past midfield, so. Um, I'm expecting a game to be kind of played similar to that. I think with the issues at quarterback that we've talked about with now, Devon Modster um, at quarterback, I'm just sort of anticipating this is the game where Cal has a really hard time uh, getting in the end zone, and and I think the streak goes to four games, and then you go against Colorado in the following week, and maybe you have a chance to make it five.
1: Right. I'll stick with the defense, and I'm kind of with you um very similar to what you just said. I do think the touchdown streak extends to four games. Um Oregon though in the first half, they've been just unbelievable. They've outscored their opponents 84 to 15 in the first half through the first four games of the season and and they're just one of two FBS teams who haven't allowed a, a first half touchdown this season. Um I think that extends to to five games where uh, they don't allow a touchdown in the first half. I don't think they scored, t- I don't think Cal scores a touchdown in this game, so that, that itself goes on, but I'm thinking we're gonna see this football game get knocked out, uh, and basically second half, most of the fourth quarter is gonna be running, you know, just kill the clock, get it, get out of town. Uh, I, I think Oregon's gonna have a big lead at halftime.
0: And, and I think one thing I should say is that I think you're going to see the pride of this defense show up in the second half because like Matt, I think Oregon is going to be playing maybe some second team, you know, guys at, at part in that second half. And I think you're going to see the pride of we're not letting this offense into the end zone. And there's going to be some drives maybe in the second half where it's the Cal's first team offense largely on the field against Oregon's second team defense. And that second team defense uh, does enough to keep Cal out of the end zone. Uh, another one here for the defense. I think Oregon's gonna sack Devon Modster five more times. Ooh. Uh, We, you know, that's, I actually made that against Stanford and it came true. I'm gonna say it happens again. This, this Oregon front is so good at, at, at pressuring the quarterback. Whether it's, you know, guys up the middle make, you know, pushing their way up or if it's guys coming off the edge and just flying down or if it's some exotic blitzes where you see a corner come off the edge or a safety come off the edge. There just seems to be a lot of ways that they get after quarterbacks. And you couple that with the fact, and I forget which podcast this week it was. We talked about how Cal is allowed 17 sacks this season. Um, and Jackson Moore yesterday in the podcast said that there are, you know, they're down two or three of Cal's best offensive linemen. Uh, go listen to that podcast as well. If you've missed it, um, really good stuff from our California publisher, but. I just think it's going to be a game where Modster is kind of running for his life a lot, and you know you couple the Oregon front with some issues for California in the offensive line. I think this could be a very long game for for Modster, and a game where Oregon gets him on the ground an awful lot.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, like, what do you do when you have a backup quarterback in? You bring the heat. You yep. you ratchet up the, the pressure even more because he's he's the backup for a reason, you know. And more often than not, there's going to be a drop in talent unless you're a school like Alabama, Ohio State, or Clemson that just has five stars waiting in the wings, and California is not. So I'm, I'm there with you. Um, I'm, I think Justin Herbert is going to extend his number of touchdown passes to different receivers from 22 to 23. Ooh. I've said this before. I did, We didn't get it last week or two weeks ago at Stanford, but with Schooler and Pittman back in the fold, uh, CJ Verdell and Tra- uh, CJ Verdell not having a touchdown pass this year, um or in his career from Justin Herbert. I think there's a possibility that we see one of those three guys get a touchdown pass. Maybe a Josh Delgado. I mean, you can mm-hmm. throw him into the mix as, you know, a fourth guy that, you know, could get some run and, and catch a touchdown pass. So I- I think I think Herbert will extend that streak to 23, and in the process, that also means nine different receivers this season will have caught a touchdown pass from Justin Herbert. The other ones that have this season: Jacob Breland, Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson, uh, Ryan Bay, Brian Addison, Daywood Davis, and Spencer Webb. Oh, and uh, Brady Al. So don't so I- don't forget Brady. Yeah, don't forget, don't forget Brady. <laughs> so I I think that number will increase. uh 20, 22 to 23 for players who have caught a touchdown pass from Justin Herbert, and then this year it'll go from 8 to 9.
0: I had one that was similar, and, and I expect either – I'm predicting. I, should say, I shouldn't I should say expect, but I'm predicting either Schooler or Pittman finds the end zone in their, in their yeah. first game of the season. I think that for some reason my, my hunch is maybe it's Pittman just because I, I think he's somebody that has – Shown a kind of a flair for the dramatics, and it would feel pretty perfect for his debut. And maybe he has a huge touchdown catch. Um, I think you're one of those guys, and maybe it's both of those guys. You know, you kind of really feel their presence in this game against a a really good California secondary. But I I just think one of those guys is going to have a big day, and one of them is going to find the end zone. I
1: think Oregon's defense um, will force three or more turnovers in this football game. You said five sacks. I think. The likelihood of a sack is going to lead to a fumble, at least one or two. Um, I think Monster will maybe throw an interception or something. Uh, maybe a running back fumbles the football. Uh, I just think Oregon's defense are or special teams. They're going to create three turnovers or more in this football game. And that's going to be what kind of break is kind of is the final straw that breaks the camel's back or, or whatever analogy you want to use. But I think Oregon's defense is going to be opportunistic. And they're going to come out, and they're going to be the reason why this game goes from being maybe like a, a 28 to, to nine game to something of the nature of 42 to nine. Because you know Oregon's offense gets a couple short fields, and they convert touchdowns.
0: All right, I'm I'm, I'm finally but, saying it. I think Camilo Lewis is going to make a field goal. Um, I've been I think that's been a prediction of mine basically every week, but. I think this game, the way it plays out, Cal's defense is strong enough that they're probably going to force Oregon into some some spots where they're going to have to try a field goal. And I think he's going to hit one. I, I think the more I look back and kind of reflect upon the miss he had against Stanford, that's not on him. It was bizarre. I think the left or the right guard like got out of their stance a little quick and kicked the ball in the snap. And so Maimon had to reach back behind his head. Great job by my own to grab that thing or else you could have been seeing a, a touchdown the other way for eighty five yards for Stanford. But that was not really on Camden Lewis. The timing was so screwed up that he his footwork was all over the place and it makes sense. He didn't have a hard time with it. Um I think he's gonna hit one this week and and, and maybe that's not the most bold prediction, but the fact that you haven't seen a kicker make one for four games is sort of bold, but I, I think you finally see them connect on a field goal. All
1: right, so I've got one more, right?
0: You got one more and I got one more.
1: Yes, so my last one goes back to Justin Herbert. Um, he's had seven career 300-yard passing games uh, at Oregon. Two came in 2016, one came in 2017, two came last year, and he's already had two in four games. I think he sets a career high or a season high with three in 2019 by doing it again this weekend against California pushing his number to eight. Other previous games where he's thrown for 300 yards or more uh, includes the Montana game and the Nevada game. Against Nevada, he was 19 of 26 for 310 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, against Montana, he was 30 of 42 for 316 and five. Uh, no interceptions. Has done an interception all year. And I guess, I guess maybe I'll just make this an, an all-encompassing Herbert. Doesn't throw an interception, pushes his 300-yard game total to eight three on this season which would be a season high for him and then on top of that i think he throws four maybe five touchdown passes in this football game
0: wow you're expecting a, a herbert heisman game and i think that sort of ties in a little bit to my my last one here it's not herbert specific but i i the spread right now is 18 as far as i can tell unless it, it's moved recently but uh, i think oregon nearly doubles the 18 point spread um, I, I think they're going to win this game pretty handily. We've talked about a lot of the reasons why. I just think when you combine the fact that Cal's offense is dinged up and Oregon's defense is really good, Cal's not going to score a lot of points. And when you combine the fact that Oregon offensively is getting some pieces back, has had a couple weeks for bye week to kind of reflect and game plan for this, um, I, I think you're going to see Oregon come out and flex its muscles on both sides of the football. And I think, I don't have them. We'll get to our, our actual game score predictions in a moment here. I don't think they fully double the spread, but I think it's very, very close to doubling it.
1: Yeah, let's go right into uh, our score predictions because I've I've debated this long, long and hard um, all week. Because how do you like how do you define a blowout? Right? Uh, yeah. Does that mean or does that mean an offense has to score forty five or more points or can a blowout be twenty-eight to zero? You know, like how how do you go out and define what a blowout football game is? Because I think that definition will dictate what I would describe this football game as. Um, I, I think Oregon's going to get into the forties. Uh, I, I think they ended up scoring forty-five points. They they hold California to nine. Um, it's going to be a blowout, but at the same time. Oregon's defense, you know, really dominates once again. And, you know, the offense, they look good. They show a lot of positives. Uh, but at the same time, I think they, they get just enough. Actually, I'm going to change it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to 38 to nine. That's where I'm at. I was trying to say 45 points, but I just, I just think Oregon's going to ball control. You, you take in consideration of California yeah. ball control as well. Game's going to shrink a little bit drives, few, a little bit fewer drives. Um, Oregon's offense. They look good, but people are going to look at it thirty-eight to nine. But in reality, that's a blowout in my mind.
0: We almost did it again, Matt. We almost did it again. Almost got the same exact score prediction. I have thirty-eight to six. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you you changed your your Oregon total, and you, we now have the same score there. I, I think, yeah, I think five offensive touchdowns and a field goal. I think Cal kicks two field goals. I think Oregon is, like we said all podcasts, is just so good defensively. I just don't see Cal scoring. A touchdown. I don't think, think they're going to drive very much. This could be a game where, like, maybe Cal has, like, 185 total yards. You know what I mean? It could be one of mm-hmm. those things where they just struggle to move the football. And I don't think Oregon is going to necessarily dominate when they have the football. I don't expect it to be a thing where you're like, man, Cal's defense looks terrible against this Oregon right. offense. But I think it's going to be enough where Oregon's going to have so many possessions because I think the defense is going to be so dominant. That they're just going to have an ample opportunity and they're going to, maybe they get a defensive or a special teams touchdown to add to that total. I don't know, but like I I think there's going to be enough there for, for them to win this game very handily. And they come out winning 38 to six. They move up a little bit in the polls and they turn to Colorado the following week on a Friday, which is a kind of an odd deal, but uh, with a lot of optimism coming out of a really impressive win at home.
1: That's going to do it for us on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy watching Oregon versus Cal five o'clock. Make sure you tune in to duckterritory.com throughout Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and just keep it, keep it as your regular go-to site. How about uh, 24-7? Or- yes. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Good job. Way to, way to get that in. Uh, for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Preem, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast.
0: Adios, amigos.